When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all over the globe, the world, the galaxy, the Milky Way, wherever you happen to be, and you hear these smooth, buttery vocals coming through your speakers. This is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. And I said one half. I'm not going to use math. I'm just going to go ahead and introduce the other host, Mr. Brandon Pham. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode. Bringing with me a special guest, Eric Cook. How you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Of course. Welcome. Welcome. Glad to have you. So this is the part of the podcast, Eric, uh, that our guests, such as yourself, introduce yourself to our audience and listeners. A little bit of background of where you came from, where you are now, where you're heading. Right on. Well, I've been around for a little over 20 years. I moved to California with my sights on getting into the video game industry when I heard you could play games for a living. So I... Came out here, started out as a tester at Activision. They gave me a lot of great opportunities, and I've been able to work for some huge companies. I worked for Rockstar, Sega, Sony, and now I've found uh, what I hope to be my final home here at that game company. And I've been through, I've designed games. Mostly I've done production, uh, both for uh, giant publishers and as well uh, done some uh, designing for some bigger publishers and now I'm uh, the head of the studio here or head of development at that game company. So kind of run the day-to-day drive vision, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One of the great things that we love, uh, I mean, in general, we love talking to game developers, but especially ones that uh, move around um, indie and AAA, especially uh, uh these groups, uh, from what I've seen and what I've experienced, are pretty pretty exclusive to their own crowd, right, in some way. But we're starting to see people move around <clears throat> a lot more uh, than before. Can you kind of highlight what it's like, uh, the core differences between, uh, at least in your own experience, between these different types of studios? Sure. Um, I've definitely been very fortunate to experience both sides. And uh, starting out at Activision, which is... Uh, I came along right before Tony Hawk. So I got to see them grow into this monolithic publisher. And, oh, congrats. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah, that. Congrats. So, uh, I think it's a great company. They gave me a, a lot of great opportunities. So working for these larger publishers, uh, they have a very strong goal in mind, not just financial, but to promote creativity. And the budgets are set, timelines are mostly set, and the end goal of the project is, is really clear to them when you, when you set out to do it. On the other hand, with indie, they don't know where it's going to end up. And that's actually one of the incredible parts about being a TGC and in independent development is that you get to find out what you're creating as, as you as you go through the process. And that's very, very different. And so for me coming from uh, a big 
big box publisher to an indie team, that was a real change for me, like just getting to understand what that felt like. I was fortunately at Sony uh, when they brought in that game company and they brought Genova in fresh out of USC uh, to start that game company. And Sony was looking to push the boundaries of games. I remember when we would, we created the budget uh, and the, the return on investment was no return on investment. They just wanted to break even. Nobody's ever done that before. And I give Sony a lot of credit for pushing the boundaries and, and pushing, uh, uh, accelerating what indie games can do. Mm-hmm. And then when you go into this uh, opportunity where you don't know where it's going to end up, as long as we saw progress, we kept moving forward and, and kept giving them the opportunity to, to, to keep growing the project. And then when TGC broke off and after their three game deal was done, they kind of re started to recreate that foundation that Sony had given them and trying to create something that had never been done before. Mm-hmm. So that was a Sony was kind of a meld and a perfect bridge for me to go from a big, a big budget publisher into an indie team. Mm-hmm. The number of thing I think a lot of developers go through when they're, um, they're used to a certain rhythm, right? Uh, like, what would you say to those developers who are uh, obviously curious, exploring new spaces, um, and 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 just ain't sure exactly what that entails? Like, your jump from big games to smaller games. Like, I'm sure that fear comes in my mind if I were to do yeah, something like that's that. That's exactly the word that I was going to bring up. It's, it's be fearless, you know, and people who are getting into indie game development from what I've found typically aren't um, focused on making a lot of money. They're focused on getting a creative vision out and, and letting their voice be heard. And that can be really scary because it's possible that you can, show somebody, Hey, this is, this is my vision and people aren't going to get it or they're not going to fall, fall into that bucket that you were hoping that they would, but that's not important. What's important is to be fearless, to go deep inside yourself and bring out everything that you can and, and lay it out all on the table for people to see and then let them decide. Because the beautiful part is, You can usually, if you get something out, you've learned the process and you can go do it again and you're going to do it better the next time. So I'm a big never give up kind of guy. One thing that I'd say is when I I look at the portfolio of games that comes from that game company, you know, I see a lot of projects where I would say there was like intentional impact, you know, being designed into what was being released, like creative vision, sure. But also like, I want this to mean something to somebody after they've played it, you know, and also trying to be commercial right, or be successful commercially like is a hard thing to say when you're like, I'm designing towards the player having a specific experience where I know I'm going to leave forced impact, but also I want to be able to do this again and again and again, you know? And so I think that game company has actually done an exceptional job at, I guess, both being successful, but also making sure that the projects fully uh, see the creative vision, like actually manifest, but then also have left the users with this moment of impact or this forced impact. So my question is, do you guys find it hard to continue down that path to say like, okay, like what is the, like the emotional triggers that we want to go through this time? Or what is that, like that, that final feeling that we want to leave the player with this time? Are you guys finding out that you're, it's getting more and more difficult to continue to go down that path or, or no, uh, I guess is the, I think that that's a difficult path, no matter whether you're first starting out or whether it's your fourth game. 
That's mm-hmm. and, and that certainly you, you, you hit a real touchstone or a cornerstone in this studio is that having an emotional impact, a positive emotional impact mm-hmm. on the player is the centerpiece of everything that Genova strives for and everything that the studio strives for. And, and whether, you know, trying to reach financial success, I can tell you, I, I was the producer for Sony on flower and journey. And there were a number of times when Genova was making decisions where we thought, man, that's going to alienate players or people aren't going to get this. So I was the producer on flower and journey. And that was a really, um, a, potent experience that I had on flower where Genova did not want to use the analog sticks. He only wanted to use motion control. Mm. And this caused waves through with everybody. In this <laughs> yeah. All the people. Said, of course you have to give them both options. Why would you want to alienate players? Yeah. And, and Genova and I went back and forth on why do you want to use the motion control and not the sticks? And he said, well, and he placed the controller in my hand and he said, now I'll move around, not holding the traditional way, but, placing it in my hand. Now move around and watch yourself mm. fly, feel yourself fly. Mm. And at that moment I was like, wow, I, this is a totally different experience. And he says, this is what I want the player to feel. If they use the analog sticks, they're going to miss out on this feeling of truly being the wind. And <laughs> I instantly was like, wow, I've got a lot to learn from this guy. And that yeah. still continues to this day. <laughs> you know, I am coming from, I'm, I'm someone who, um, having worked for so many big companies and making money is super, super important. That was built into me for a long time. And Genova's helped dismantle that and rebuild it in a way that if you do make something beautiful and emotionally engaging that impacts a player's life, the game's going to be successful. So that's really the focus and the the bottom line of how much money we're going to generate. It's in the back of our minds, but it certainly isn't impacting design decisions. Um, There's a lot of things we could be doing in our current game that are easy, low hanging fruit uh, that we just will not do uh, mm. with Genova's guidance because they don't fit into the mindset of what we stand for as a company, which is emotionally engaging, impactful play. Are you guys hiring? <laughs> <laughs> That's well, such a good answer. Yeah. Well, speaking of impact, like you've been in this game for 20 years, Larry and I, you know, half of that but we've seen a lot of changes, especially in the indie scene. Like what, what has your, uh, what, what is your feelings on what, what has happened in the last 10 years or even the last 20 years of, of development? And um, how, how do you feel the changes are impacting us as a whole? Uh, just speaking in the last decade, I think, I think it's dope. I mean, we're people are, making experiences that nobody had ever thought of. I'll tell you when I first saw flower, um, I was like, who, who gets to make a game about the wind? This is incredible. And I, mm-hmm. I, I tried really hard to be, I wasn't the original producer. I can tell you that, but I, I, I made a lot of overtures to get to be the producer on that game. So a lot of the things that are changing are the, types of people who are making games, uh, the diversity, or uh, rather I'd say inclusivity, which is uh, super important to me and seeing um, games like Depressing Depression Quest, which I think was super impactful and had 
drew more people in to think, oh, I'm allowed to make a game about my my personal experiences on the darker side of how I feel every day or um, that dragging cancer. Um, you know, that was when I first heard about that and met the creator of that, I was just completely blown away. And this is the type of thing where indie is where these these things can be done. You know, big budget publishers are, are just getting on board in the last six or seven years and starting to promote games, but they're still promoting uh, games that are, that have, that they can see a market for. I love it when that people are making games where, there is no market for this game right now. They're going to create their market. Mm. That's, that's where I lo- love to see things going. And, and I see more and more of this uh, as well with the rise of Unreal and Unity. It allows people who are not super technically savvy or extremely strong engineers to get their vision out. That the, you know, Those two engines alone have dramatically changed what's possible. And I also look to see, you know, I look at VR games like Adrift um, by Adam Worth or um, Eclipse by Jonathan Hawkins, where they're really, really kind of twisting what people have done with VR. These aren't these, they're not fighting games, they're not horror games, they're games about human experience. I, I, I think that we're in a stage now where I, 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 we're at the, the very start of the golden age of game making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> One of the um, transitions that you guys went with, like Sony with three year, year uh, three game deal, and then now like uh, you guys are kind of going on a new path. How has that been with building a studio? Uh, I don't know the exact technicalities of what you guys went through, but like I imagine it's constantly building it from the ground up and getting new talent and all that stuff to to kind of venture off and in a more indie sense right can you kind of walk us through the the production and in that process yeah what are your golden steps for becoming a a indie studio and what you guys did to kind of you know hire good talent or you know i guess getting your team to work well together a bunch of people who haven't worked together before you know like i guess what are your tips for people who want to replicate that I think, possible. <laughs> sure. I, I think the main thing is knowing what you want to achieve as a company and having a real clear vision of what you want your company to create and what you want your team to create. That's the base. Uh, you know, I think PGC made a great transition out of Sony and finding independent financing to truly become an indie team. Um, but the culture has just grown. It didn't change. It just started to to uh, like, like a tree, you know, it started to, to grow and branch out and become stronger over time. And that's really due to the people that we brought into the studio. You know, I've worked at a lot of different places and there's always people that are extremely engaged at those companies, but there's also a smattering of people who are there because it's a good job. Mm-hmm. No one at that game company is here because this is a good job. Everyone wants to be working here at this studio, trying to create experiences that are going to better people's lives. And I think when you are creating a company, whether it's to make games that are emotional or you want to make a great first person shooter or survival game to bring people in that are looking to follow behind that vision and bring their own creativity into that vision. And you want to make, 
something that's never been done before, the best thing that you could possibly give of yourself. And I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of times people will come to me in the studio and they're a little nervous. They don't know where things are going or how well things are working. And I say to them, are you giving the absolute best of yourself right now? And the answer is always, yes, I'm really giving of myself. And I said, well, if you're giving of yourself and I'm giving the best of me and everybody in the studio has the opportunity to give the best of themselves, then whatever is going to happen is going to be the best that we can possibly do. And you cannot fear of what that's going to feel like for other people. All you can do is give the best of yourself. And that's something that everyone here at this studio is constantly striving for. And there's also a huge level of support inside the studio to make sure that people are not just um, feeling like they're developing a game, but that they're, they're developing as individuals. And we work with each person on the team to come up with an individual kind of target or goal for them that might not have anything to do with the development of the game, but something that they can feel like their time here is spent not only making the game itself, but making something that they experience personal growth. And so when they come out of this on the other end, that it's an experience that they can look back on and feel like they were proud and excited to be here the entire time. Amen. And you guys are cool. (laughs) I'll tell you, this is, I'm, I feel incredibly blessed to be here. You know, this, this studio was built by um, some really great people and I was just able to come in. They invited me in to come and, and bring, bring my skill set here. And they gave me the opportunity to kind of spread my wings here as well. But I felt like I was, my entire career was leading up to getting to come to this studio with all the things, but this studio was great before I got here. I can tell you that. So, then can you talk about your personal like impact on the studio? You said the studio was great before you got there, but they did bring you there. There was something in you that I'm assuming that they saw was going to add to the gumbo. And so I guess not to toot your own horn, but like, I guess what strengths do you feel like you were able to help the studio shape or shift into because of your expertise, because of your expertise prior to going into that, that game company? I'd say mainly uh, structure. Mm-hmm. And knowing how the finish, well, knowing what the finish line looks like, um, mm-hmm. that's something I've I've been sent to a number of studios throughout my career that um, were were kind of trying to find their way through to the end, and I, I I'm able to come in and help kind of nudge and guide and and show what the finish line looks like, and and as well, I think. Um, And this was already here, but a a level of compassion and understanding for what it's like to give up yourself creatively on a daily basis and how much energy that takes from you. And that I I'm here to try to help support and recharge those people and and keep them um, hopefully in a place where they feel like they're still being impactful in the studio. Uh, You know, we've grown. probably by a third, maybe a little more since I've been here. Those growth spurts are very difficult for any studio. I've seen a number of studios get built. Um, My mentor, Shannon Studstill, who's the head of the uh, Santa Monica, Sony Santa Monica, the God of War team there, uh, showed me and kind of walked me through what it's like to build a team and how to grow a team and, and what things are important in team growth, which are, um, certainly not, not just creativity, but taste and making sure that people who are coming in have the right taste that fit into the studio. You know, we interview 
extremely talented people. So that's, and I'm, I'm very involved in the hiring as well at the studio. So. Do you feel that um, when you're building up a company, especially at, at the game company, that, uh, you know, there's always like you kind of mentioned before um, any type of growth, you know, there's a special case scenario in each one. What are the highlights of that, that you feel like, you know, if someone is building a company out there um, that you should really be careful on um, through your experience just to like, or at least give extra attention to, uh, to keep the balance. Uh, honestly, and this is, I think, probably just because of my position, but I think that having a goal, again, of what your studio is trying to achieve, and then constant communication with everybody in your studio about what that goal is, why you're making the decisions that you're making, because often I'll talk to the studio, we'll, you know, uh, once a week we get up and we kind of give an update on everything that's happening to make sure everybody feels informed. And I still will find that people will come to me and not understand the truly the, the end goal that that meeting was going to represent. So constant communication, lots of one-on-one time with each of your team members, hearing what they're, what they're anxious about, what, what, what fears are coming up or what things are keeping them from being successful in their minds. I think that those things right there, that, that level of communication where, you can't be over communicative in my opinion, you know, there's in development, the number of times, and this is every company that I've had to tell a person who sits right next to somebody, Hey, you two need to talk about this thing. You know, that's a, that's a, just a normal thing because they're, they're really absorbed in what they're trying to create. And, and I think um, as, as someone who's kind of constantly watching the, the over everything and shepherding the studio, um, I'm always looking to make sure that people are facilitated, that I'm facilitating communication between people. And, and it, it only helps. There's never been a time where I felt like, Oh, these people shouldn't be talking right now. That's a, That would be a huge problem if that were, if I ever were to say that. And, and I'm always looking to give people the opportunity to express themselves, not only to me, but then to each other in a, in a constructive way. Yeah. I definitely want to sign off what you said earlier about um, because being an artist myself, I think it's always a bad idea to have just a room full of artists and designers <laughs> to their own devices because that can go on forever and it's great to really provide pretty, structure. Really, really, really fun game. <laughs> yeah, that's also probably going to be very expensive. Never ship. Yeah, <laughs> the never shipping thing is a yeah a huge problem when you leave it to those. Uh, disciplines alone. Well, uh, the next question I want to ask about is, you know, there's, there's a blossoming uh, amount of tools, especially VR, AR, all these new types of ways to experience an interactive medium. Um, so it's, it's basically expanding what's possible in video games. And, and, I, and even the term video game is kind of like being broadened now. I'm a big fan of that term. I like interactive entertainment. Mm-hmm. And so how, how do you feel that that's how are we impacting other industries and, and society? Like, where do you see the future? I have a running joke with Larry. I was like, we're, we're slowly creating the matrix, 
but like how do you see in the immediate future how we're impacting outside of our industry well already film and television are using a lot of the tools that we are to construct uh, movie scenes uh, before they're shot obviously cg and a lot of the things that we're doing um uh, and as far as creating scenarios and in, in games are being transported back. But I look at that as kind of they're trying to catch up to us. Um, I'm, you know, we're, we're making more money than film is right now. And that's by far. And um, I think the, the thing I'm most concerned about is really the people who are going to be the heads of the companies that are at the forefront, that, that making money is important in a capitalist society and making money is obviously a part of this process, but making sure that creativity stays at the forefront of it. Um, you know, you're always going to have games that are out there that are meant to make money and that's their sole purpose. I completely understand that. Uh, I just want to make sure that, that, wherever we're going is a place where creativity sits on the tip of the spear, not a dollar sign. Yeah. That's, I think that's what we need. You know, you need a blend. You need the industry that allows different types of people, different types of experiences, not just genre differences, but actual, like, like you said, the type, the reason why the game exists, you know, the, okay, this is just a game where we plan on microtransacting the hell out of it, like a MOBA or Battle Royale, where it's same experience over and over and over and over and over, but your ability to customize yourself has like some sort of added draw, you know? But at the same time, I would love to still be able to play like a Gone Home or a Journey, you know? Like those two are probably my highest rated indie experiences that I've played personally so far. Firewatch is also higher on that list. I haven't completed Firewatch. I had the ending spoiled, and then I got mad. That's not play. <laughs> Um, so that was that was an unfortunate one for me but uh, that game was also pretty good but you get what i'm saying right like i just as much as i need my madden every year i i still need my ability to just like be in a completely different world completely different person and have like some sort of life experience change because of my decision to play that game you know yeah right there's definitely yeah uh to kind of add on to that, there's definitely like uh, you definitely need to have your growing resources, but you need the outliers to kind of grow the industry outside of our just little circle. So um, that balance between the two just helps us reach wider audiences, which is healthy for everybody. Right. Um, the question I do have for you with um, that is related to the indie scene as well. It's uh we're seeing a, a huge amount of individuals or smaller teams kind of crop up, um, especially with Unreal, Unity, all these being readily available um, and even being able to self-publish. Like the whole process is out there for anybody who wants to take it and run with it. With that comes with a few caveats, right? <laughs> There's just a bunch of stuff that shouldn't be out there, but it's out there. I know it's within the eye of the beholder, sure, but uh, it crowds up the market in a in a huge way. It gets super saturated, so it gets harder and harder for certain developers to kind of stand out. Like, do you have advice on that front? for people who have something really important to say, but it's just a bunch of noise 
in, yeah. in that scene right now. It's, it's only going to keep increasing in the amount of content that's coming out. Um, so that's unavoidable. I, my advice is to engage with the creators that you respect. I've not ever found a game creator to be, um, feel like he's above the community itself because any great one knows that they're nothing without the community. So looking to engage with the, the creators that you respect and the community that likes the creators that you respect and then grow inside that community. That's where, that's where you'll have the opportunity for, for your, for your content or the thing that you want to create. You can start sharing it with these people, hearing experiences. I mean, you have to throw yourself completely into this. This is, I don't think this is like a weekend warrior type a situation. If you want this, then you have to give yourself completely over to it. And when you do that, you'll start to find the people who are thinking the same way that you are. And see, because I'm not giving you a recipe for financial success and how to uh, create a social media dy- you know, dynamic around yourself. That happens naturally. It's, it's actually, if, if you want to be real, that just happens all on its own. What I'm, what I'm suggesting is that you find your place, you find your people, you find your tribe, and then you stick with those people, and then they will help guide you and bring you up. They will recognize, oh, I think this person's super talented. They've been, I've been talking to them a while. They showed me this game demo. I'm going to show this game demo to these people who are giving me money. That's that's it, it, It's kind of... Um, uh, being part of your community is the, is the way to filter out all this extra content. And you made a point that you made a comment that there's all this content, maybe stuff that shouldn't be made. I'm of the belief that all of it should be made. Um, I don't want to stop any creative voice and it's a, it's tough because there's a lot of games out there that I just like, feel uncomfortable with, but that's awesome that that's happening. We should have things that make us feel uncomfortable. We should have creators that are making stuff that we don't get. And that is pushing. We don't just get to push the boundaries into the rainbow zone. We have to push the boundaries everywhere. Mm -hmm. So the idea that there's content out there that is disturbing for people it's, it's important. It's really important for that, for, for everybody to have a voice. And cause trust me, I believe that people will make the right choice or make choices that, that further us along. And I, you look throughout the course of history, we keep getting better and better. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that that's true of our, our art form as well. Well, I guess where I look from and, and Brandon saying stuff that shouldn't be made, it always takes me back to like the flappy bird of like, hey, I made this Flappy Bird like a year and a half. Nobody gives a crap. But then, you know, it catches fire. And then all of a sudden there's like a news article. Hey, Flappy Bird makes $70,000 a day USD. And then like two days later, there's like 10 Flappy Bird clones. Five hours later, there's 40 <laughs> Flappy Bird clones. A week later, there was a hundred and like two like it just you could just see the exponential increase of flappy taco flappy cat flappy whatever right like all and to me that's like the trash part of our industry where it's like if someone else has a hit 
it's one thing to say like, Hey, I'm going to take like a mechanic and like try to reinvent it or like repaint it or do something where it's like pipe escape, but you're, you know what I mean? Like there's a familiarity to your experience and theirs, but clearly yours still has its own hook that it needs to exist. But then there's also like 99 who are just like, no, man, I just wanted to take some of the money that you have identified for yourself. And that's why I did this. That part of the industry for me is the part that like, I have to swallow it and say like, ah, like I, it sucks that it's that way. And I have to accept that it's that way. Cause that's just how capitalism works, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. And I, but the other side of that to me is those people know what they're doing and mm-hmm. that they're not creating or rather that they're not, that they're copying something and just trying to make money off it. Mm-hmm. And the way I look at it is they have to go home at night and go to sleep. And, and, and for that moment before they shut their eyes, mm-hmm. They know where they're at and what they're mm-hmm. capable of. And for the people who are truly creative, and I look at Donut County as a perfect example of a victim of what you just talked about. Mm-hmm. I that didn't give that didn't that didn't stop him from continuing on. And I find him to be incredibly creative, and he's going to continue to be creative for the rest of his life as long as whatever he and, and whatever his endeavors are. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's I, I just focus on. Are you being creative? Are you putting yourself into this? Are you putting your heart into being creative? And if you're doing that, all of that other stuff to me kind of fades away. We'll never get away from copycats. That's just impossible. Um, And the people who play those copycat games, those are kind of the outliers in the gaming community. And as we grow, there there will always be a market for that stuff. But the people who are engaged and are interested in finding new content and finding the next great thing. I mean, that's again, that's the that's kind of the the um, patch 22 of the indie game movement. When someone does something super creative, it gets copied. And that just happens over and over and over. And, and you can always fall back on the, you know, copying somebody is the greatest form imitation is the greatest compliment. Uh, and I know, but I hear what you're saying. And, and I, I just, I don't ever focus on that because it's a huge waste of my energy. Mm-hmm. I focus on who's doing the next great thing and how can I support that person in doing it both financially and emotionally and, and hopefully getting to meet them. You know, the people that I want to spend my time with are meeting great game creators and people who are doing different stuff. So um, but I, I do hear what you're saying. Well, I have a follow up then. Uh, it's in a similar vein. And I believe based on what you said, you might have a very similar answer. But I think professionally, I still want to ask you this question. Um, so in a similar vein as having, I guess, loss of revenue come from like clones or copycat duplicates or whatever. What about literal copies and duplicates of your own product, i.e. pirating, I guess, how does your studio kind of take a stand against pirating or what kind of things would you suggest indie studios do to like not be like, Oh, 400,000 copies of our game just got released on like mega upload. And so there goes, you know, that many customers potentially for us. Um, I guess what's your stance on how you feel and like what your studio does or what you suggest people could do to kind of, you know, deal with it. I'm not going to say for or against, I'm just going to say, how do we live in an environment where that exists? Um, well, fortunately for that game company, all of the previous games that have been released have Sony and they have an army of lawyers. So that's very easily stopped. <laughs> <laughs> strapped. Yeah. Uh, the, the next part is for, for Sky and we're independently um, publishing. Um, 
I don't believe that anybody can copy us. So we're in a very unique position. I think mm-hmm. for, for those that can be copied, really, there's very few. I'm not an expert in this field, and I don't think I'm actually can answer this question extremely with, with, with like I said, with any kind of expertise. Um, one of the thing, first things you do when you start a company is you get a good attorney. Mm-hmm. That's that, That's my best advice is that you, you need an attorney. If you want to start a company that you want to generate money, you have to have a good attorney. You kind of mentioned this before where um, every project that you work on, you're kind of cleaning, sweeping the table clean and starting over again. And even though with a huge reputation like that game company has, um, do you find it difficult to uh, still serve your existing audience, but really pushing the boundaries? Or do you feel that game company has a really strong fan base that kind of follows you guys wherever you guys go based on merit and, and quality? I think that's a struggle for any company who's had a successful title um, and pleasing your fan base and looking what's happening with Diablo currently with their fan base and how everyone, there's a lot of displeasure over the um, device that they're releasing on or the platform that they're releasing on. You you can't please everybody. I think what Blizzard does constantly is try to create the best content possible, the highest quality content possible. And I believe that that this new game that they're doing is going to achieve that. It's just going to achieve it on mobile. I, you know, we we experienced some backlash when we announced that we were going to launch on iOS mm-hmm. from our fans that were on PlayStation. Why aren't you launching it on PlayStation? You know, this is all we can do is go to our center. Are we creating a game that we believe in an experience that we believe in that serves our players in the way we want to serve them that has the impact that we want to have. And for us, it's an emotional, um, an emotional experience. And if we're doing that, we're just going to have to, to um, brave the storm that comes with it. If, if our fan base um, or part of our fan base can't, ex- can't, doesn't like it or can't accept it. And, and what we've found, and I think what Blizzard will find and, and everybody else who is truly trying to make high quality experiences that once people get a taste of it and they experience it and go, oh, wow, this actually is really good. And I see how this works and I see what they're going for. You know, we're, we're, we're going on iOS to reach more people. We want to have a greater impact. And that's going to have some casualties from our PlayStation fans that don't own an iOS device. And granted, we intend eventually to release on all platforms. But in the immediate, you know, there's a people are um, there's 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 a tendency to be sort of reactionary to new news and and something that's unfamiliar to you. And and that's just something that we're we're willing to deal with because I'll tell you this, I know our heart is in the right place and what we're trying to do. And we're trying to do something different and we want to be breaking what's out there and that we want to create a new place for ourselves. And to do that is gonna ruffle some feathers sometimes. And we accept that that's part of it, but we believe that if you're a fan of TGC, 
you're not just a fan of us on PlayStation. You're a fan of what we're, what, what, who we're about. And, and that'll come through in everything that we create and everything that we give to people. So mm-hmm. I think we insulate ourselves in that way by, by being true to our core. So do you find that TGC is also fans of other companies that, you know, create games that leave? Oh, oh, oh yes. <laughs> oh, oh yes. And it's, and it's incredibly diverse of who, who we gravitate towards and who, who we admire. And um, we have uh, connections with, major huge you know giant monolithic you know 300 person studios uh to uh rick and dicky um our friends who made hohokum you know just two guys making a game mm-hmm. so there's lots of and you know lots of fan we're rather we're big fans of what everybody else is doing and we want to stay involved in that community as much as possible and not only that the diversity of the games that are played inside the studio is is incredible which brings we get to bring a lot of a lot of that uh, creativity into what we're trying to do here see there's a there's a special reason why i asked that question it's because i know a game that left a significant emotional impact on me it's called the fast five and with this game i'm going to ask you five rapid fire questions and i'm hoping that you can give me five rapid fire answers so you're ready to play oh, this oh, oh, oh. <laughs> my mother is cringing right now all right uh question number one what is your favorite way to treat yourself meditation all right question number two what was the last video game that you purchased red dead question number three what's the first video game you remember beating Oh, I hope he didn't answer in the lag. Think he stumped him. No, this is I started <laughs> on coin op games. You don't beat coin op games, so I'm trying to think of the first game that I ever beat. I'm so glad you said that because you'll love the fifth question. <laughs> oh great. Um, Have you beat Mario One, Mario Two? <laughs> Mario One. Which one is one? Dude, I'm losing track. Which one Super is Mario third? Brothers one? But there, there was a game before Super Mario Brothers, though, right? Yeah, there was Mario Brothers, and uh, then there was Donkey Kong. Or Donkey Kong came first, then he had Mario Brothers. Uh, so then I don't know Mario. So far back, one. I believe that's how it went. <laughs> I'm really scratching my head to like see if my timeline. Is uh, the first game I ever beat was Sonic. Oh, Sonic. that's a good one. All right. Uh, Next question. Second game you ever beat? No, kidding. Uh, <laughs> next question. Uh, a character you wish was your personal bodyguard. Any game, any story, game, you know, fantasy character whatsoever. Who do you wish was your personal bodyguard? It has to be fictional. Neo. Oh, that's, that's a good Neo, choice. That's a good choice. All right. Last question, because you, uh, what is the coin-op game that took the most money from you over your life? Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, it's actually a pinball machine called Pinba. Right. Now, I, that, this came after I was playing coin-op games, but I, you know, I'm I've been fascinated with this with this pinball machine my entire life. Mm-hmm. It uh, is the first multi-ball game that I ever played, and and when you lock the balls, he says, "Now I see you." That's <laughs> 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 I still, I'm going to Las Vegas in two weeks to go play it at this pinball hall that has it up there. So, oh right. man, that's you the see? one thing. That's the one thing I really miss from arcades, like pinball machines. 
Like that, you can't really recreate that at home. No, and it's, you know, I appreciate that people make pinball video games and stuff like that, but there's a tactile aspect to it that I loved. And, and it was just a, a, certainly a part of my youth, you know. The, the pinball craze for me died very early when I had one or two of those moments where, like, you see the ball <laughs> is going, like, straight down the middle, and there's nothing you can do, and you're like, my quarter is done. Here it is. Like, yep, there it goes. It's like. So you have to master the shake. Oh, you got to shake it. Yeah. That's, the, that's the secret to all pinball is mastering the tilt or the right leading your game up to the point of tilting. Mm-hmm. That's the mastery of the pinball machine. Meta game that I didn't even think about. <laughs> that's so let me ask you this didn't that take you like on an emotional like you think back into your life of your game development history and like <laughs> i haven't been back there for a while no listen i, I <laughs> i'm i'm now just i'm thinking about like my greatest pin bot yeah game that i ever played i remember it who was with me and how i came from behind and it was one of the greatest gaming experiences of my life actually and what's awesome about what you're saying now is like, I know that people are going to go out and look for Pinbot just to like, okay, well, let me see. Like, let's see what this guy's talking about. Yeah. Is it a popular game still? Uh, because you said you're going to Vegas to play it. Is it at the point where, you know, it's, you have to actually go out and seek individual places or? Would yeah, you say it's, it's not. I mean, it was a 1986 uh, Williams Brothers and I haven't ever seen it at, you know, we have a lot of great places to play pinball around here now, you know, Mutton Mash and, and places of that sort. But the only place I've ever seen it is I can buy it on eBay for eight grand. Yeah, something like that. Or I can go to this place in Las Vegas. There's a pinball museum mm. out in Las Vegas. And you, I show up with two rolls of quarters and one of the rolls goes into Pinbot and then the other roll goes into everything else that's out there. Wow. So. Heavy favorite. <laughs> Thanks for playing. Yeah. <laughs> so the this is my uh, uh, my segue then. I'm talking about like old memories. That game company reminds me a lot about uh, companies in the PS2 era. That's which is like what I grew up on. Like a lot of those Japanese companies that are so diverse. And uh, uh, the one that comes to mind, I forgot that game company, but they did Akami. They did Beautiful Joe. Like. These games, if you look at them separately, you wouldn't imagine coming from the same development team. And I feel like it's one of those aspects of uh, the game industry that is um, that has declined since. Right, we're super franchised out uh, on a company level, and um, on at a bigger company, you would think with all those resources that you, they'll be the most diverse. But it's the exact opposite. They want to they want to keep at what's working. So uh, Clover Studio. Thanks, Larry. Mm-hmm. So is that something that game company, uh, obviously, well, maybe not so obvious, that has always aspired you guys? You guys are always looking for the next idea and not necessarily going back to and reimagining a, a license that you guys have uh, explored? You know... I think the the core of everything we do is that we want the player to have an emotional experience. And so that is from, from cloud flow and one of my all time favorite games, because you can project all of your own emotions on it journey. And then, and certainly sky and journey and sky are are, are part of 
the foundational things are that you're going to have an experience with someone else. So I think having a really emotional experience with another human being, that's where everything that we're going to try to do for the foreseeable future is going to center around. Mm-hmm. Now, are we going to try to recreate? I mean, I think Sky is, a, again, a spiritual successor to Journey, mm-hmm. but it is certainly not in any way the same game. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if you play Journey and, and you love it, you're going to see a lot of the things you loved in Journey, a lot of the, that, the experiences of when you connect with somebody. Those are the things that are going to be really important to us. And that's actually people chart of what he wants the player to feel throughout the experience. And so what the experience ends up being is going to be completely unique because it's Genova and his, that's just the kind of mind that he has. Um, but I think we're always going to return to players having an emotionally impactful experience and something that makes them feel better about themselves. It makes them have some introspection about themselves, introspective about themselves. Oh, I, I love the work that you guys do. And I say, like, I'll ask the last one that I see on this list here, but knowing what you guys want to do and sticking to that core experience and saying like, we as a company believe that this is why we exist as a company, right? Like you have to have some foresight. You have to know that like, okay, or maybe you don't, maybe it's just that you're, you're so strong in the belief of what you want to do that you actually don't care what the future holds because you're just developing what you feel like you should be making, I guess. Uh, can you, before I get into this last question for me, can you maybe harp on how you feel about that? Like, is it a, this is how our company is going to progress or is it like a, this is what our company is going to do. And we just keep, what do we feel like we should make? And we just make that, you know, I guess, what is it, what is the strategy when it comes to identifying new IP or new products to make for, for that game company? I'll play some, uh, soothing music um, <laughs> um you know it's sort of a similar answer to to um what i just gave in the sense of uh, and it's kind of a culmination of everything we've talked about we don't necessarily know what the outcome is going to be and that's one of the beautiful parts of being in indie studios where we don't know how this is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. We just know that we want to have an impact on our players' lives. And and we, you know, Genova has a very strong message besides games are art, games can be emotional, is that we are all in this together. Mm-hmm. And that mantra is in everything that we try to create. It's part of the studio culture. It's part of the game experience and it's part of what we want to create as a company for our future. And and everything we do drives towards that vision. And I, and definitely, you know, of course we want to make, be financially successful so that we can keep doing this and we can keep impact more and more people as we grow. But that's not the main goal. The main goal is to have emotional impact on our players' lives. And I, I, I could give a much more verbose answer. I'm really good at that, but um, we just want to do right by people. We want to make people feel good about themselves and be able to see a version of themselves that they maybe haven't seen before. And we want to do it in a way that reaches an audience that hasn't been reached before. And that's super important to us. Amen. Is, is finding finding people who've never had game experiences at all. And that's, you know, definitely you'll find with the players in the sky. 
I find Genova to be incredibly insightful. Mm-hmm. And he is, I've just never met anybody who works as hard as he does. He is constantly in a state of, of creation. Wow. And so he, I, I believe that he, he has a vision of where he wants things to be, but he is malleable in how he gets there. As long as it holds true to the core values of the company, I think he's willing to let that vision kind of find its way. And I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of faith in this team in Genova and what we're trying to create. And I believe that we are doing it for all the right reasons. And therefore it allows me to release that fear mm. and put my heart into things. And, and that's what gets to happen at the studios. Well, I, I asked you a question that required a little bit of insight to see where it was, because I'm going to segue into this last question, which I believe will kind of, you know, segue nicely. Uh, 2018, 2017, 16, like we're seeing VR starting to show up. We're seeing what happened with EA and microtransactions. You know, we're seeing Magic Leak coming out and AR is going to start making a stance in the game industry. Uh, We're seeing Sony and Microsoft hinting at going into a future where consoles will be streaming based. Google is even showing some thigh in that that, uh, area. So... I guess my question to you is, where do you feel like video game trends are going to shift into in 2019? And then the follow-up is like, are there any plans that you guys have as that game company to kind of take advantage of some of the things that you see on the, on the horizon? So where I see things shifting is I, I believe we're going to start seeing less gamey games and, and things that have that are more accessible to people who don't typically play games. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just going to continue. Um, you know, the average age of gamer keeps going up every year. The, the ratio male to female keeps getting more closer to even every year. Um, that's what I, I, I want to see that happen, continue to happen. I believe it will. I think once someone can finally or truly engage uh, female players or, or, or it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, that's going to be a big groundbreaking change. I think we're going to see that in the next year or two. Um, as far as how we're going to engage in that, that's going to be a, we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> ah. I appreciate you asking. Oh, snap. Did anybody see the watch? Um, it looks like we've been podcasting for about an hour. And customary to any person who dares to podcast with us for this long, (laughs) much like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, we have a special treat for you. Uh, Brandon and I are going to go clean out our coffee mugs and refill them. And we're going to allow you to take over the studio, grab all the microphones, all three of them, and talk directly to our audience to raise awareness or shout out or promote something that you're working on, something you're exciting about or exciting about, something you're excited about, or something you think that just needs more attention than it currently has. So without further ado, the floor is yours. So as hopefully... Most of you know, and if you don't, we're working on our next um, our next game called Sky Light Awaits, and we currently have a beta on iOS and Mac OS. So we would like to invite all of your listeners to um, join the beta. You can send an email, or you can go to our website, thatgamecompany.com, and sign up for the newsletter. You'll automatically be put into our beta pool. Um, please make sure you note whether you're. Uh, iOS device or Mac or both. We'd love to have you in there. So um, get a taste of what we're doing. But keep in mind, this is a beta and it's certainly a beta that's still finding itself. Uh, But we're excited to to have new players come in and give feedback. We love brutal feedback here at the studio. 
Um, but there's a, there's another message that I want to send out, and then I, I want for anybody who out is out there who wants to be a, a game maker or just do something creative is that it's totally possible. I I am the most computer illiterate person you'll ever meet in your life. I've got dyslexia, dyscalculia. I'm super hyperactive <laughs> as everybody in the studio knows. But if you really give yourself over to something, you can have it. And I believe that there's an opportunity for everyone in, in this new space that's opening up. Anybody who wants to, to be part of a creative process, it's there for you. And I meet people all the time that ask me how to get in. And the answer is real simple. Go find the bottom and start there. Go make your own thing. Go, just go and don't ever stop. You know, if you, if you don't quit, you'll find it. And I would imagine that a lot of people who listen to your show are, are, are interested in, in the game business if they're not already in it. And I would implore them if it's something you want to do, really give yourself over to it and it will happen. I can guarantee you. Amen. That was wonderful. Like I, I feel like it's reinvigorating for me to even hear that, you know, mm-hmm. That's- well, I, I just feel super blessed that I have the life that I have. I'll tell you when I was young, I had no idea that life could be this good. I had no idea that I was going to have this amazing career. And it was given to me by people who, because I put myself out there and allowed myself the opportunity to fail and to be shamed and to look like a fool, all those people would say, I would walk up to the offices when I was in the basement at Activision. And I would say, hey, I'm Eric Cook and I work in the basement and I want to learn about what's happening up here Every one of those people sat me down and said, here's what I do and here's how you get here. And I would implore all, all game makers who are already in there to give people that, that opportunity, keep our industry growing, bring in eager young people. If want to give their lives over, we're the ones who are developing the forefront of it. I got to tell you. Every person I've seen wearing a section shirt has always looked nice. <laughs> I'm saying good night. This is Brandon Fam. Thank you for listening. See you guys next week. Thanks for having me on, you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. So thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope that you're a subscriber, but if you aren't, please feel free to follow us on any of the major podcast platforms, especially iTunes or Spotify. You can find show notes and more resources available to help you become a successful game developer. Just go on over to our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. If you're interested in keeping the conversation going, then definitely come check us out in Discord where we chat in real time for After Show Tuesdays to discuss episodes and Feedback Fridays where we share screenshots on the projects that we're currently working on. If you go over to patreon.com, you can support our podcast financially. And if you do so, you get access to Life Unchained, our on-the-pulse, unfiltered game dev gossip content that we make exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And as usual, you can keep in touch and follow our happenings on Facebook and Twitter. That's Game Dev Unchained, the podcast.